you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking today at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. The message this morning will be a departure from my normal expository style of preaching. That is, I don't want to go verse by verse and word by word through the text or uh, to be helped by a series of points to work through the text. Um, but the, the point that I have this morning is uh, one very simple point. I'm thankful for you. It's one very simple point this morning, summed up by all that Paul says that his opening greeting to the church of Rome. I understand that after serving for the last several months of, as your interim pastor, that this may be the last opportunity that I have to stand behind the pulpit. And so I, I ran through my mind of, what would I say? If this were the last opportunity that I had to address this church, what would I say? It's very simple. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your faithfulness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for your kind welcome and your love that we've been able to enjoy and be a part of as long as we've been here. But not only do I want to say that I'm thankful for you, but I want to give you an encouragement. I want to give you an encouragement to keep going with the very same things that we're thankful for. Namely, stand firm on the gospel of Christ. No matter who fills the pulpit, no matter what the future holds, stand firm on the gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have obtained grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word through the Apostle Paul. We thank you that you have preserved it so that we can have it now and that we can glean something from it of who your son is and of what you have done for us through him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the book of Romans, 
which is arguably the most theologically rich and theologically deep book in all of Scripture, Paul teaches the Roman believers on all things of the Christian faith. The book of Romans is essentially a systematic theology book. It is telling us what it looks like to live as a Christian, what it looks like to live in faith. But before he gets into all of the doctrine that he'll share with the Roman church, Paul opens up this letter with a note of thankfulness. He opens up this letter with reminding them of how thankful and how grateful he is for what God is doing through them. And the reason for which Paul is thankful for these believers is a reason which, with which I can sympathize. The reason that Paul is thankful for the Roman believers is the same reason that I'm thankful for you. Look with me at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul tells us at the beginning of this book in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, the very same thing that James, who we just finished up his epistle, said at the very beginning of his book, that he is a servant of God. Paul, a bondservant, in the Greek, a doulos, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, one who simply works for Christ, one who views my life as being in servitude to God. All Paul wants to do with his life is serve God. And Paul, just like James, could have had a whole list of accolades. He could have had a whole list of achievements that said, Paul, and here's all the things I've done, I greet you. But Paul doesn't do any of that. Paul just says, I'm a servant of Christ. And the very same thing that Paul sought to do with his life is the same thing that I seek to do with mine. It is simply to serve God and to serve His people. Paul's ministry was not about Paul. Paul's ministry was not about a particular church. Paul's ministry was not about having his name inscribed upon the church building or his name known after he left. Paul's ministry and mission was that Jesus Christ would be known and loved and cherished and treasured forevermore in all of the hearts of the people whom he touched. And over the last several months, I've labored among you to let you know who Christ is. To fix your eyes on Him. Paul's ministry is a model of ministry of simple service to God. If God should have called me to be a door holder for the gateway of heaven, I would gladly be a door holder. And the ministry of Mount Carmel Baptist Church is not about me. It's not about who stands behind a pulpit. It is not about any, any one individual on this earth. The ministry of this church, I can tell, has been, is, and must always remain about the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else and nothing less will ever suffice. So let Jesus Christ alone be the name that is proclaimed from this pulpit, no matter who stands behind it. That is your standard. Your standard is not how you feel about a particular person or your opinions on a preaching style. Your standard is, are they giving me Christ? In Galatians chapter 1, if you'll turn with me there. Galatians chapter 1. 
verses 1 through 6. Or excuse me, verses 6 through 10. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I was still striving to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul had spent some time with the churches at Galatia. Just four months prior to writing the letter to the Galatians, Paul had spent a lot of time with the churches there. And after just four short months later, Paul had heard reports that they had forsaken the gospel. That they had moved away from their first love. That they were becoming like the Laodicean church that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. That they were lukewarm. They were playing a little bit of Christian and a little bit of worldliness. And so Paul writes the letter to the Galatians and he says, Don't do that. Remember what you were taught. Don't go that way. Do not forsake the gospel. And so my encouragement to you this morning would be simply, no matter what the future may hold for Mount Carmel Baptist Church, do not forsake the gospel. Romans 1 verse 16, if you'll go back with me there. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I've quoted it many times over the last seven months. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. For... It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God unto salvation. If you want to see sinners saved and saints sanctified, then you must proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else will stand the test of time but the gospel. The purpose of the pulpit is not for sharing personal opinions, for telling cool stories, or for peddling political, political ideologies. The purpose of the pulpit is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very moment that that is lost, the church is lost. And I am so thankful for the ministers who have paved the way before my time to serve here. Because they have stood firm on the gospel and it shows. This church has stood firm on the gospel and it shows. And for that, going back to Romans chapter 1 verse 8. After Paul says, I just want to be a servant of God. I just want to be a servant of the Son of God. I only want for my life. I don't care if after I leave you remember my name. I don't care if you remember my favorite sports team or if you remember what kind of cologne I wore. I really don't care about any of that. All I care about, Paul says, is if you know who Christ is. Is if my labor among you has done something to remind you of who Christ is and of what He's done. And in the same way, that is my only prayer for you. Is that God has used me in some way to remind you of how glorious your God is. And that you would remember that. And in verse 8, he says first. First things first. Before I get to anything else, 
I want to remind you how thankful I am for you. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, verse 9, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. James, at the end of his epistle, we looked at last week, left the church of Jerusalem with an encouragement to be patient and to be prayerful as they awaited the coming of the Lord. And Paul here says that he's constantly praying for the church at Rome. He is constantly remembering the people there in prayer. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through 12, Peter says this of ministers of the gospel, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so what Peter says is he says, look back at all the preachers who have ever stood before you. Look back at all the prophets who wrote Scripture. Look back at all the apostles who wrote Scripture. All of them made careful inquiries. They studied well. They studied hard so that they would know who Christ is and be able to tell you who He is. And all of their studying, all of their serving, none of it was for them. None of it was for their name to be known. A true minister of the gospel of God does not care how, how much of a celebrity status they get. A true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ cares only that the people know Jesus. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. Peter understood that the call to be a minister of the gospel of Christ is not a call of self-service. It is not a call to be a builder of one's own platform. The goal in ministry must never be to make one's own name known. If I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't be doing what I do. I wouldn't say anything about sin. I wouldn't touch any of the hot button issues with a 39 and a half foot pole. I would say everything that the world wants to hear. I would tell them everything that they want to have. And I would leave all the Jesus talk behind. Because the world is perfectly fine with having a God as long as they're not under God. As long as the world can have a God who acts like a genie in a bottle and serves all of their personal desires and wants, the world is perfectly fine with that. But the very moment that you say that God is sovereign, the very moment that you say that God is holy, 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 that God is a judge of both the living and the dead, that God demands of us that we be righteous in the person of Christ and repent of our sins before Him, the very moment that you begin saying things like that, the popularity factor goes way down. If I were to say that Jesus was a way, most people would be okay with that. But the moment that you cross the line and say, that Jesus is not a way, that He is the way, 
all of a sudden you start getting some eyebrows raised at you. But my desire is not to be known. My desire is that Christ would be known. The most encouraging thing that you could say to me after a sermon is not, great sermon. You're a really great speaker. Good job. That was really polished and clean. and uh, Good job on that. The most encouraging thing that you could say to me is how good of a God do we have? How good and how merciful is our God? And that sermon reminded me of it. That is the most encouraging thing that you could say. My prayer, as I think of you in the last seven months that I've had the opportunity to serve here, is that the ministry that I've had has been at least half a blessing to you as you have been to me and my family. So thank you. Thank you for loving my family. Thank you for caring for my family. Thank you for making my family feel like a part of yours. But thank you most for your faithfulness to the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. What Paul says here is he's not yet with the Roman church. The context of this is that he's writing this letter and sending it to someone else so that they would take it to them. The United States Postal Service didn't exist then, but it would have been the equivalent that Paul shipped the letter off to the church at Rome and the leaders of the church at Rome would stand before the congregation and read this letter in its entirety. And what Paul says here after saying, I just want to be a servant of God. And I'm thankful that that's your desire too. He then says what he says in verses 11 and 12. Four. Because of my desire to serve you and because I know how how desirous you are to serve the Lord, because of that, I long to see you. I long to be with you. As we think of what the Lord may hold for our future and for yours, we'll just put all of our cards on the table and say we love you and want to serve you. But before we come to a close this morning, turn with me to one other place. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household... How will he take care of the church of God? And he must not be a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. 
and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. As a preacher, I regularly compare my life not to the preacher down the street and not to the preachers on TV, but to the preacher defined and outlined for us in the Word of God. I have to examine myself often and regularly as 2 Corinthians verse thir- chapter 13 calls us to do. And this is the list that I compare myself to. Am I living like this? Does my life exemplify and model the ministry of Christ? Am I being conformed to the image of His Son? Are these characteristics mine? So I would just encourage you that this, the living Word of the living God, be the standard by which you determine who will serve you in the days to come. Not personal feelings, not stylistic approach, but that these qualifications of an elder, a pastor, an overseer, a shepherd would be your God. God's requirements of a pastor are far more up to date than any job posting could ever be. So may you be led by prayer, by God's word and by God's spirit. Vote for me or vote against me. Either way, my family and I are praying for you. We love you and we thank you. And no matter what, we will be together in eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. And that who you are is good and gracious and merciful. That you are kind, that you are patient, and that you love us. Father, would you help us to love one another just as you have loved us? Lord, I'm reminded that even if this is the last time I have the opportunity to stand here, that we'll be together in eternity, those who are in Christ. Oh, what a day that will be. When our Jesus we shall see. Father, would you lead this church well? Would you help them to make the decision that would best glorify you and serve your kingdom? And Father, above all, would you remind this church of how great your love is toward them? And allow them to know just how thankful we are for them and for their faithfulness to you. In Christ's name. Amen.